what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, we'll start with a quick uh, discussion about how small brick-and-mortar retailers compete against Amazon and the online wave. We've got a few ideas to share from some articles we've been reading. It's summertime, and we have collected letters, emails, faxes from our listeners with questions about startups and small business that we will do our best to answer for you today. Finally, we'll wind up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight some interesting businesses that you should be checking out. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host and director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, fiery Gary Muller, who is dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, you're fired up today. I am fired up. We're getting ready for school to start, and it's uh, crazy as it can be. It's always crazy. You're always you're always stressed out. I worry about you. Well, I try to keep it calm. I hope you don't realize that I'm stressed 24-7, I, uh, but I guess it is coming through. It, it, it seems that way sometimes, So I, I, but I, I'm glad that you're here today. You know, it's always one of our fun shows when we can answer some questions from our listeners. We appreciate you guys sending in some, some questions for us. We like to start by talking a little bit about articles that we've uh, come across, and uh, I, I came across a couple that, t- to me, seemed related. I was reading uh, an article that I found in the New York Times about how independent bookstores are surviving and starting to return and grow. And, and I guess there was a time when uh, they they were struggling against Barnes & Noble. Amazon sells a tremendous amount of books. Our independent booksellers were disappearing. But now, uh, you know, based on the article I was reading in uh, the New York Times by Andrea Chang, uh, they focus on authenticity. They focus on creating spaces for the arts and culture and meeting places, and and they're returning, at least in, in some of our cities. So I think that's always pretty good. That's exciting. I'm a little surprised. Actually, I'm very surprised. That they're growing, but that's a good thing. Well, you know, we live in a more rural area where it might be tougher for independent booksellers to, to survive and thrive. But point. I think in more of the urban areas, um, uh, you can do pretty well. And then I came across an article on how physical stores can survive e-commerce, which to me seemed connected to the independent booksellers. Yeah, uh, I agree. And it talked a little bit about some things that that uh, the the smaller retailers can be doing to to fight off the e-commerce uh, wave, and they really focused on three things that seemed to really fit with what independent booksellers are doing. Number one, obsess over customer satisfaction and really connecting with your customers. I think that's critical and. In- Everything. I agree. Including I the agree. business of education. Well, I think I, I, gotta, it's all about the customer. I mean, not that you're going to do things that 
all the time because the customers, some, many of them will try to stretch the truth or try to get you to do something that just to see if they can make a deal. But You know, I, I was going through my, my library of, of significant Dilbert cartoons where I get much of my management you know, advice. I understand things. that. You know, and there was one that uh, on customer service where it said, uh, I think Dogbert was teaching the class saying that the customer is always right and they must be punished for their arrogance. You know, is that how you feel when you're dealing with uh, students? I love our students. Okay. And I love their parents. Good for you. Good how, answer. How am I doing? That's good. Okay. That's the official answer. Good answer. I do love our students. I think um, sometimes they ask for things that are very difficult for us to deliver on. We really work hard at CBCC on customer service, well, they, but they it's a like, challenge. They like ask for that A when they actually haven't attended the class this well, semester? Well, that, that is also some of the things that happen that they wonder why they if they – didn't turn anything all semester, why it's a problem if they turn it in the last day or two. Of, and we are going through that with summer school, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And they want to know what's wrong. Yeah, so so you, you they, sh- they should actually turn in the homework. Yeah, that okay. would be helpful. All right. We, we digress. So you know, customer service is critical. Customer satisfaction, obsess over that. Number two, which to me hits right with the independent bookstore, be part of the community you know, and, and, and bring people in. Find, you're not just selling books. You've got to find a way to, to – uh, reasons to bring other people into your Well, that's how you job. get people uh, interested in what you're doing is by being engaged in the community. I mean, you truly need to be – it's a marketing tool, but it, it's really an important thing. I mean, and, and, and we have a local coffee shop, which I always yes. visit before we, we well, take. In fact, well, you told me you were going to be late today because well, you're to, going to make sure you – I visited my, my friends them. at Tasteful Beans Coffee Shop in beautiful Hickory. You should check it out if that you're tells in our you they in have in good our product town. and good customer service. And, and, but, but they also have – they sell art. They have community events. They find reasons to bring people into the shop in addition to – Drinking their fine cup of coffee, which today I'm drinking cup of joy, which is my favorite uh, flavor that they offer. Now you're going to ask what's in cup of joy. I don't know, but it's making me happy. As long as it makes you joyous. Third thing in the article, welcome change. And they say that just because you're a brick-and-mortar retailer, don't ignore e-commerce. You might want to have that as one of the elements in in reaching out to your customers. Well, I'll give you a real-life business of education analogy. Of course, then you'll tell me that it probably doesn't match. But we're a college that offers seated classes. Mm -hmm. We're a college that offers online classes for exactly that reason. I think just to say we're going to do seated classes or brick and mortar or just online, if you're able to do it economically or efficiently, having both sides I think is a good thing. I mean, it may be in a business that there's too much investment to be able to do both. But if you can make it work, I think it does make sense because you're going to attract two different markets. Mm -hmm. It's two different strategies, but that's a good idea. Well, and and certainly uh, it opens up your business to a larger customer base. And that uh, you know, if you're if you're online, you're you're you can be found by anyone in the world, as opposed to a limited geographic area. So. uh, it might not work for every business, but something that people should be given consideration yeah, to. Absolutely. So, anyway, just some. Uh, we always like to start with a little bit of food for thought there, but we're going to spend most of our time today opening up the Entrepreneur Exchange mailbag, where okay. we where we have questions from real life listeners and. Uh, 
you know, some, you know, some of you guys, I think you, you send some of these things in with, in a little bit of jest, but there are some serious <laughs> questions in here, too. So, so anyway, question number one um, from uh, Philip, and I believe he was in Greenville, South Carolina. What are the biggest challenges I face if I want to start a new business? You know, just a very generic question, you know, and, and the things that always come to my mind are, uh, number one, is it a viable business idea? And you know, we run into lots of people that that uh, have an idea but haven't gone uh, done a lot of research to determine uh, can this do I have a, do I have customers? Is it going to resonate with my customers? Well, I think that's key. You know, actually, we talk about it a lot. You and myself, poor English, but uh, and I was talking to some folks uh, yesterday. You know, it's a big deal to make sure you know what you're trying to sell you're trying to sell a solution to businesses or a marketplace because a lot of people we talk about it from a standpoint and they develop a new product not thinking about what the market or who they'd sell it to but then they go try to find a market sell it to that's a real problem i mean you're gonna you may never work or it may take you a lot of time or money to, to find that proper market well, it, it, you know, there's a concept out there called customer discovery of out, you know you, you really want to get out there and talk to real potential customers and get their sense of is is this something they want? Is this something they need? Is this something they'll pay for? Uh, you know, going through that process of making sure you've got real customers out there before you start to spend your money and your time to develop a business is is something that we encourage everyone to do. Uh, you know, other challenges, uh, making sure that uh, you have enough cash to make the business work. To, when you when you want to get in business, um, uh, just having enough money to open your doors is one thing. But typically, uh, many startup businesses aren't going to make money right off the bat. You you could be losing money for a period of time. So making sure that you have the cash, the liquidity to uh, make it through the first few months to a point where you're starting to be cash flow positive is is critical. Well, it is, and of course, you do it with all of your clients that are coming into the small business center. And I think that's one of the most positive things I see when we're working with our student entrepreneurs or our young entrepreneurs. It's the hardest thing for them and the hardest thing for you because you're trying to show them doing a pro forma income statement or cash flow but because they may have some great ideas. But the reality of how we're going to make it work or they see – and they, it's cool that they really grasp it and they say, oh, gosh, I need – Twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars before I start, or I won't make it till I start making money. Or they think, "Oh wow, you really do need to come up with reasonable projections because it it could hurt." Uh, so I think you're doing a real service to our young entrepreneurs. Also, just from a personal budgeting standpoint, that they say, "Well, it, it's the same kind of thing." On well, the personal know, life. You know, Gary, you and I are doing a real service by just sharing this information on the podcast. Well, yes, we are. You know, that's so for that's, sure. That's, 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 that's more importantly. So related to that. A question from Kim, formerly of Kansas. Where do I get the free money? Jeff Newville. No, <laughs> no, that's not the right answer. You know, that's the, so we we do get people that uh, assume that there's a lot of grant money out there for for business for business startups. Uh, this is not true. There is not no. a lot of free money out there, and yeah. and. I'm I'm the sort of person that 
tries to avoid saying ever or never. So I, I mm-hmm. cannot ever, I, I will not say that there are no grants out there. There are, there are, a, sometimes there are grants out there. The, the, the city that we live in has a small micro grant program. It's restricted due to, uh, certain types of businesses, and there's some income restrictions associated with it. But you know, the, you know certain cities do offer grant programs. Uh, the uh, there are some government grants out there for usually more energy related businesses or technology businesses, but not not usually Main Street or, or smaller businesses. Um, yeah, the, mm-hmm. So, so you, you you hate to say there are no grants out there, but uh, unfortunately, that's a concept that we often have to disabuse people of when they when they visit us. So, you know, unless, but again, that's uh, one of your Gary, services. unless you have any free money, that you I do not have pot. any free money. My four kids have taken all the free money that I have. There you go. Or they will. Okay. Well, I've I've, I've got some college bills myself, I so I, I can I can appreciate that. So, all right. Question from Brian in Melbourne, Florida. If you could have one superpower as an entrepreneur, what would it be? Gary, what do you, what do you Matching, the, it was, I was, there are many that I need, <laughs> uh, not just as an entrepreneur. The ability to match the solution for the right market, just like I just talked about. Making sure it's a viable that, concept? Yeah, that, it, that I'm not going to spend a lot of time and money on something that's not viable. So maybe this your superpower would be the ability to predict the future? I don't know. I mean, if we could predict the future and maybe somebody's needs, maybe that would help us. Well, that would certainly be true if I could predict the future. Um, or I guess uh, that would kind of fit into that. That's more dramatic than what I'm saying. Maybe have like a, some sort of BS detector or something when you well, can tell yeah. when someone's pitching you something bad? I don't I, know. I think that's true. I could use that now. I, <laughs> Not now specifically thanks, in you. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. i got to tell you that. Um, certainly having enough money. Infinite, when needed, infinite, infinite amount of money. Well, I mean, so like if I don't you know had if that's like a superman, superman, superman powers, you could probably break into banks and like yeah, you know, when I they use shoot my at eyes you, to go through, you know, knock would, down the doors know, and stuff. Know, okay, yeah, I, I, that's yeah. They're you know flying, uh, you, you know, and that sort of thing. I don't. I'm not sure that's that, that's not going to help me uh, that yeah, much. unless you know you were my my business was giving you rides yeah. on my back when yeah. I fly around the world. Maybe you know yeah. that could that could be helpful. I don't know. Craig from Orlando, Florida. I have a lot of listeners in Florida. Yeah, and, and this is this is something you and I both have a little bit of experience with. I'm seeing more stuff about hatching hatchet throwing businesses. How can you control liability with increased alcohol consumption? I think you need a lot of insurance. <laughs> you know how I feel about that business. Although I think it is really a unique. And clever way to uh, get people into your store to buy your product. And it's working because I drive by and you're there every day. (laughs) (laughs) We call that market research. uh, Oh, okay. uh, Okay. I have have actually visited our uh, local hatchet throwing and alcohol consumption location. um, And I will say that I had to sign a waiver before I uh, started throwing hatchets. Uh, so, you know, I would I would say that the combination of some sort of waiver that I would encourage you to work with with a lawyer before you uh, just throw something out there to to make sure you're as secure as possible, and having some sort of 
uh, liability policy would be the way to make sure that you are uh, doing the best you can to avoid potential liability well, issues. point of looking at a lawyer for your business in any type of business when you're getting started is probably a good idea. I mean, some are going to be uh, much less risky than that one. But I think it's always get somebody to, with a fresh set of eyes to see if there are any issues that, that come up with that. Now, how much do they pay the person that you throw the hatchets at? Uh, you know, that person does it for free. It was my friend. Oh, okay. So, you know, so uh, it, he had been drinking a lot before you yeah, uh, decided yeah, to throw very, hatchets. Very, you know, very naively trusting. But, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it's, and it's only uh, at our local place, just uh, so you can do some price comparison, it's uh, only $6 to throw for a half hour. You know, and you know, half hour You'll be tired is generally enough for me, but you know, yeah. Not, yeah, people might want more than that. Yeah. So $6 per person. So, you know, you got more than just, anyway. I got it. So That's pretty cool. I think it is a really unique idea. Well, well, I, I know it's yeah, a unique well, idea. Well, I, I told you I thought it would be a good uh, college retreat option, you know, and that we could get rid of some <laughs> dead weight. That that would, yeah, I was going to say that would help us with the, uh, the budget. All right. Next question. How do I determine my startup costs and other expenses? Any any thoughts on that one? Well, I think uh, start with – I like to look at the operating revenue and expenses going on an ongoing basis to get started and kind of say, okay, how much is – I'm going to get revenue. So you got to come up with a price based on the market demand. And then I look at the cost of goods sold if we're making something. And, and I like to, to build that and – and then I go back and then look at how much equipment. You know, then I start looking at the startup cost. What's the investment to get started? Um, sometimes that's just the way I do it because I kind of think it gets me into thinking of the operation and what it's going to take to run it because that's going to help me generate extra costs that I'm going to need to have in investment to start the business. That makes sense? Yeah, and, and, and I think that if you – if you started Googling startup expenses, you, you can find some lists of typical mm-hmm. business startup expenses. And, and yeah, as you're saying, I think it's important to take some time and, and try to establish that initial budget. You know, we're, you know, we're talking about why people fail and not having enough cash and, and whatnot of really developing a, a, a realistic budget of what's going to cost you to get into business and what sort of operating expenses that you're going to have. Uh, in my experience, also going out to similar businesses and talking with them and asking questions, people often will share information with you. I mean, there are some industries that are more competitive and secretive than others, but uh, you'll often find that people like to talk about their businesses. Or, or you might be able to reach out to Similar businesses in a different geographic area that you won't be competing directly against and and be able to get some information from them. So uh, I know locally we have some really good uh, uh, research librarians at some of our local libraries that are very happy to assist uh, people in doing that research. So, um, yeah, start digging. Well, I think it's key to do the research, and it is critical to do the work. I mean, you you don't want to take shortcuts when you're looking at your investment, your livelihood, and um, the money that you're probably going to put into the business yourself, not just the total investment, but how much you're going to put in. And Because, you know, there's no, no shortcuts when it comes down to 24-7 working your business, getting it started. I agree. All right. 
Moving on. Next question. This is from Charles, and he uh, is a little bit cryptic, uh, and you'll see why. He's from the Midwest. Says, quote, I'm a tenured professor at a tier one research university, and the pay scale here in the ivory tower isn't what it once was. Well, he should come work in the community <laughs> college system. We can make him feel better real quick. I'm looking for other congruent opportunities. I understand that something called bikini baristas are a thing in, in the Pacific Northwest. I'm thinking about opening a local one here in the Midwest. Do you think I can make a go of it without losing my day job? Now, I don't know if I sent you this question ahead of time, Gary, and I don't know if you looked up bikini baristas. Don't do it on the college computers, no, okay? Do I actually it. did. Okay. So, so I'm going to have to explain that you were the one that— You got some explaining to do. Yes, I do. So uh, so, you, so you're familiar with the bikini barista well, concept? Familiar, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's sort of a coffee type thing where young ladies in bikinis are bringing you your coffee to your car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so I'm glad uh, we got this on tape so that they'll know that I actually was the research that I did at the college. Part of your day was, job was for you. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it for all of our listeners. There here. you go. So, um, yeah. Do you think that this is a a viable concept for the Midwest. I mean, if they're doing it in the Northwest, I mean, I, I worry a little bit about, is it a seasonal business? Because, you know, people in bathing suits, bikinis in the wintertime in the Northwest or the Midwest, that could be a problem. Yeah, I, that was my first thought when they said the, the Northwest, I suspect it's cold. Yeah, I think, well, most I think, of the year. I think it was. Or I think it was Seattle where they uh, the, where I when I, I might have Googled it as well, and it looked <laughs> to me like it was uh, coming out of Seattle. So, uh, I, I yeah, I, I worry about whether this opportunity in the Midwest could be more of a seasonal opportunity. Uh, you know, as far as losing your day job, you know, you might want to. Uh, set up some sort of LLC that maybe uh, doesn't put your Charles doesn't put your name specifically associated with mm -hmm. uh, this particular business. Um, uh, I, I do know Charles, and yeah, you you, you do want to be careful to not come off as a as a dirty old man. So so be careful about that, would you? <laughs> okay, that's so. good. All right, but I do think it is. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised that they were starting. I could see it in Florida, you know, that it's probably an annual type business. Or yeah, it could just, be. That's just sort of like day, day wear in Florida, you know. Yeah. You, you know, so that's yeah, probably exactly. in Miami Beach there are similar things. And then we could get into more the better marketing and how you could do that and expand the business there, but we won't. Well, it sounds like something you need to do more research on. Yeah, there. I think I'll work on that. So. All right. Uh, Pete from New York. What age is too old to start a new business? Yeah, that's. I don't think there's a limit. I don't think there is either, Pete. Come on, you know. You, yeah, I, that would I mean to, that I couldn't go start a business and so. Yeah, Gary, and it's probably I, true. Yeah, <laughs> not because of your age. Though. No, that's exactly or right. Me. So, so I, I, I did see a, an article, uh, and it, it quoted an MIT study that said the average age of an entrepreneur startup is forty-two. And the average age of a high-growth startup founder is 45, and that the highest failure rate for entrepreneurial uh, startups are people in their 20s. And you know, it seems to be that there, there's a there's a, a a youth myth out there. I think that's what the article is talking about of of the Steve Jobs uh, in the garage, you know, the you know the 21-year-old kid that you know got this brilliant mm -hmm. idea. 
And, and obviously, for some people like Steve Jobs or, or Bill Gates or, or people, some of our most well-known entrepreneurs, it, it did work out. But just that typically, it's going to be more of a, shall we say, middle-aged type person. So, so, so Gary and I say, hey, don't let age get in your way. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think I'm, the statistics are good. I'm glad that that's what they uh, show because I think you do need some experience, life experience as well as business experience. To be successful, well, yeah, but you know, going back to Charles' question, you know, you know, if you're if you're an old dude and you're like uh, setting up bikini baristas, you still could come off as a dirty old man. So be careful out there. I agree with that. So. I agree with that. And particularly, I wouldn't look good in a bikini. I don't know about you. No, you you, you could perhaps pull it off. I don't know. Uh, By the way, I talk about young entrepreneurs because I have worked with some, and you have worked with many. And I was actually talking to. Because we always talk about the positives and the successful ones. Mm-hmm. I was talking to one last night that had tried and was very successful coming out of the box, but he tried to grow too fast, and he didn't stay focused on his core business. And he was telling me that he was shutting down his business and mm-hmm. moving on to another venture. The good news is he's very young, and listening to him, I think he's learned many good lessons that will uh, serve him well in the future, as I mm-hmm. say. But, I mean, and it was – you could tell my voice got soft, and I felt bad for him. But he is young, and I did see the things that he was doing, and he talked to me and said, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. Well, and it will in the long run, but it didn't work out in this business venture because he didn't stay focused. Well, 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 as I've told people often in my business career, you know, it's, it's okay to make mistakes, but you really can't afford to make the same mistakes over again. So yes, you need, you that's need, exactly right. You need to learn from them. So hopefully uh, that's, that's how it uh, works out for him. So, All right. Uh, next question uh, from uh, Peter in Manhattan. What are the biggest scams I should be looking for? I had to call just the last 24 hours, about six of them, from the Social Security Commission because they have problems uh, with they're, they're calling you? They're calling me. Usually and I have to call you, them they, immediately. If, usually if they're, if they're calling you, that's probably a scam. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I didn't call them back. Good, good. Because I've had the same ones where the IRS is calling me. But if I pay these people money right away... They won't call me anymore. Well, and, and you those know, aren't the kind of scams you're talking about. But well, some you have the, to be careful. Well, some of them are. I mean, I I, I know that at the place that you and I both work, uh, there's there's much sensitivity about computer scams, mm-hmm. and be careful about what you click on. Yep. I will say that my wife works at a local nonprofit that has been attacked by malware several times in the last few weeks by. People asking ransom, and she works for a nonprofit organization, a, a relatively small nonprofit organization that really doesn't have a budget for paying ransom to uh, computer hackers. Uh, so, yeah, you know, just yeah, you know, be safe out there when it when it comes to computer. And, and, and these days, you know, it, it makes sense for you to have some sort of IT person, not necessarily full-time salaried, but at least some sort of person that you can call on to make sure that you have a proper firewall and, and keep everything safe there. Yeah. I mean, I think it, the key is, like you say, be safe. Don't be naive. And I can say that I have been, you know, thinking, well, you know, it's not going to happen to me or I guess that's probably it. It's not going to happen to me. 
knowing that my brothers had some issues with hacking of his business and different things like that, just like you were talking about. So it can happen to all of us. Uh, another thing that I thought of is that there are some <clears throat> organizations out there that uh, when someone starts a new business, they they you know maybe find it through a government site or something, and and they're happy to charge you a fee to assist you in maybe doing a filing or securing an EIN number. <clears throat> a lot of that you can do yourself, so so don't 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 jump too quickly at, at right. those offers as well. So so be careful about that. All right, question. Should I write my own business plan or have someone else write it for me? What's your take on that one? I would – I'm hesitating. Myself, I would write it myself. I, I, and, and have other people uh, review it and get their opinions. And maybe some folks um, – you have to have personal investment in your business plan, so I'll just go that way. Uh, so even if you're not comfortable writing a business plan, although there are many things out there that can give you a guideline of how to do it, you have to be actively involved in the business plan. You have to understand all the things we've talked about earlier – the, the good things uh, and how we're going to make money and how we're going to price it, all those things are very, very important. But you also have the, have the other side to say, okay, what can go wrong or what do we need to have happen to, to be successful? So I think you have to have personal investment in your I, business plan. I, I, I think that's very, very well said and that uh, it, it's – not everyone is a writer, but you know, I, I'd say, yes, you should write your own business plan. Well, that's it. Not everyone's uh, – Comfortable writer, um, you know. So, so perhaps getting some assistance is, is a good thing, and I think certainly getting some feedback is a good thing. But it ultimately, it's your plan, and you you need to to own it. Uh, you need to know what's in it. So it's it's really not something that you can just do too much delegation for. Right. So, so anyway, I mean, we're writing the business plan for ourselves first because that's how we're going to try to operate the business, and then, and then, of course, for potential investors or or banks. And so, you know, getting it on paper with the facts for how you would like them to be shown or, or the information is critical. And then you can get somebody else to pretty up the writing if you're not a great writer. Okay. Um, next question. Should I require... <clears throat> prospective angel or venture capital investors to sign a non-disclosure agreement so they don't steal my idea. What do you think about that one? I do want to protect people's ideas. Uh, and so I'm probably leaning – I'm a CPA by trade, so I'm going to be a little bit more conservative, although I'm not your typical CPA personality-wise. You're pretty, you're pretty fiery today. Yeah. Um, so I think – that getting in a non-disclosure, uh, non-compete type agreement, somebody that's going to be working with you closely just to protect yourself that way. Although we also know that people can do different things. Of course, we have different contests, pitch contests. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get that question a lot. Yeah, I, and, and, and I'm, I'm not sure. I, personally, I'm not sure there's – to me, it's more situational in that um, – I think that's a good way of – uh, in that, um, you know, we, we, you know, too often I think people are are uh, make the assumption that, oh no, I'm, I've got a, this great idea for a restaurant. I don't want someone to steal it. You know, people don't really want to steal your restaurant ideas, right? You know, exactly. It's it's it's, it's you're, you're 
You're, you're most ideas somebody's thought of or yeah. a version of that. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I think one of the one of the challenges with potential investors, you know, it, if it's truly an angel investor, uh, they see lots of ideas and and uh, you know they're 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 much more interested in investing, not stealing your idea. I think maybe true angel investors really are not going to be interested in signing your non-disclosure agreement, and, and might that might uh, keep them from looking at your idea. So I, to me, it's a little bit situational there. Yeah. So well, I, again, and we, when we have our contest, we have people ask us that question, and we we don't necessarily say that's they have to get a non-disclosure because it may maybe yeah. a stopper before they even get going. Yeah. So all right. Um, have time for a couple more questions, um, and this uh, I, I'm, I'm going to group these two together because they seemed HR related, okay. um, and and this is uh, from Peter in New York. Uh, yeah, he sent both these questions in. I have a few employees, one who wants to bring their dog to work, who is cute and well behaved. Should I have a problem with that? And he also asked, is buying my employees lunch every once in a while a good thing? You know, so sort of HR-related questions. You know, you know, I'll start by coming down. If you know, if your boss wants to buy you lunch, I think that's great, Gary. You know, since you're my I boss, I think that would be fine. Yeah, I think an employee wants to buy the boss lunch or the friend. That's a good thing too. Uh, well, well played on your part. Um, as far as the dog situation, yeah, you know, I, I guess that's going to depend on your your. Your company, your organization. I mean, you know, you know, we, you and I work at a uh, at a at a college that has uh, many many people in it. So it's not like I think it would be fair or appropriate to say let's have bring your dog to work type day unless it is a service animal. Uh, but you know, for a smaller startup, if if you're in charge and you want to bring pets, hey, knock yourself out. I'm a, I, I like dogs. I love dogs. Yeah, so. I go home and kick them after a bad day at work. Uh, I'm just kidding. Dog. I love dogs. Okay. I've had dogs since yeah. I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Give your dog a hug. It'll make you I, feel I better. I will. It's so. Wonderful. Um, I, I, all kidding aside on the meals, we we make uh, good decisions at our breakfast or lunch meetings. And uh, I think it's a good way of actually addressing issues and a, a comfortable atmosphere because we're uh, in a high pressure situation all day long sometimes and so i would like that although i don't eat lunch much and you don't either um it's i think it's a good way to do things and break the ice and and kind of you know always have to be careful of relationships at work but i think it's a good that's a lunch or a breakfast is a good thing to uh, make some comfortable decisions or a com- comfortable atmosphere I'm a little worried about the dog, but you said it best in a big organization because you know you're going to have to. What you do for one, you have to do for all. That's right. That's, That's the right. HR's answer. Yeah, just you know, just because your your dog is cute and well behaved, uh, you know, your your employee yeah. might bring his sloppy, poorly behaved dog in that uh, takes a bite out of your yeah. customer. So uh, and the next so one be wants careful. a cat. The next one wants a snake. Yeah, the next yeah. I, I draw the line of snakes okay. and, and well, reptiles. I'm I'm not a reptile I'm, guy. Not me neither. So. Um, this one's from from Dave in Charlotte, when we know where he lives. What is the best way to avoid paying taxes? 
Don't make money. There you go. No, don't make money. I, <laughs> you know, I, I that, that that came to mind. I think. Um, okay, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Tracking. You, you should get a a qualified accountant uh, to help you legally determine what expenses you can deduct from your income and and. Uh, Taxes is not a place to short uh, cut. From an expense standpoint, you don't need to get the most expensive, but you do need to have someone because uh, all kidding aside, uh, you want to make money, but you want to be able to protect as much of the money that you make. So and, you and need a good tax accountant to help yes. you that way. And, and there, are, there are many valid yes, are. business expenses that you can deduct. And, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, as, as you can imagine, when when we work with people that are starting businesses, everyone comes in and initially says they're, they're starting a business because they want to make lots of money. And that's how they feel right up until the time that it's time to pay taxes when it's like, oh, I didn't make that much money. Right. And, and uh, you know, so, so making sure you're tracking all your expenses is important. Last question. How many employees do I need to have an employee of the month? <laughs> I guess it's up to the individual employer. Okay. I, I, that's, do you that's have a, an answer? I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I, you know, you Yes. It won't go as far if you only have one or two employees. Well, they'd be employee of the month every exactly. month. I don't know. So I, I don't. It's or if you don't have one that month, they'll know that they didn't do a good job. Yeah, I'd, I'd say yeah. You want to uh, you know you're be careful there because you know if you only have five employees and you start giving out employee of the month, the rest of the employees are going to say well, you know when's my turn? That's you know, right. So, so yeah, yeah, and then that's unfortunate. One of the things that happens with employee of the month, no matter what. Yeah. Is. So you want to you know be be careful there. Come on, come on. All right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We do appreciate all of the uh, questions that uh, you provided, and, and we, we enjoy doing our mailbag. So, so keep them coming. You can send them to us at uh, eexchange at themesh.tv. Uh, but uh, we, we enjoy it. So, Hey, this is Alan from the Foot Candle Films Podcast. Interested in promoting your business or event to an online audience? Consider advertising on the Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to themesh.tv for details. Usually we have a guest on and we do a lightning round. So, Gary, I'm going to do the lightning round with you today. Okay. So you get, you get to That's do the lightning scary. round. I've listened to him a lot. I haven't really focused on what the answers I Well, yeah, there are no right answers. Yeah, and you, as you probably know, the lightning round is, is sponsored by Ned Ryerson Insurance. Absolutely. Whole life, home, auto, windstorm, you can really never have enough insurance. Am I right or am I right? You can never have enough insurance. Well, make sure you're insured. Uh, check out Ned Ryerson, Ryerson Insurance. Uh, you can Google it. So I'm going to ask you some questions, uh, quick answers. So what is your favorite vacation spot? Charleston. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Tim Duncan or Chris Paul? Oh, gosh. Us Wake Forest fans. Tim Duncan. Growing up, what was your favorite TV show? Wow. Sports a lot. Sports uh, a lot? Monday Night Football? Monday Night Football would be a good one. ACC uh, basketball. What is your favorite holiday? Christmas. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> no. Okay. And uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? make everybody happy well i know you try for that one so anyway all right well thank you very much for for answering our lightning round questions and uh you know when we have our next guest we'll 
We'll see how they answer them. Yeah, I, I'm going to go back and accumulate answers on these, particularly the is a hot dog a sandwich one, because I want to know the right answer yeah. to that one. So, What is your opinion of that? I'm still thinking. Okay. All right. Uh, we like to end up our podcast with uh, sharing some small businesses that you should be checking out, our small business of the month feature. So, uh, Gary, what uh, what small business business do you want to talk about today? Well, the lightning round leads perfectly into this. Okay. Is it a hot dog stand? Well, n- close. Okay. Uh, well, Tammy and I went to Charleston this past weekend. There you go. So I could do my annual research on successful entrepreneurs at our favorite place to visit. It's like you knew that I might have gone there. You didn't, so that's amazing. So today I'm going to give you a shout-out for several small growing businesses that we see when we're down there. The first shout-out goes to Callie's Hot Little Biscuits in the Marketplace in downtown Charleston. They make the best biscuits we've ever had. The bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits are great, but the cinnamon biscuit is to die for. They now have a sister business called Verity, which features great salads and hot little biscuit croutons. I think there's a combination of building their products and taking to the next five locations that they've started. One's even in the Charlotte area. So if we want to run down there, we could get some uh, biscuit croutons and a great salad. We also made some new friends at The Other Cookie, also in the marketplace, which features plant-based ingredients. They, she was great talking about it. We sampled their chocolate chip cookie, and it was delicious. So no, no, no meat in those? No meat in okay. those. Uh, just plants. Okay. I wish she hadn't told me that, but it was actually really good anyway. Prices of the cookies were a little pricey at $3, though. So. Uh, but we did try it. But at least they're vegetarian. Yeah. Daddy's little, uh, Daddy's Girls Cookies were also awesome. They're lemon-flavored brownies. Well, you got the trend. Okay. Our next new friend is Sweet Jesus Taste Kettle Corn, which features some of the best kettle corn in South Carolina, Tammy's favorite, which will last for months if you put it in a freezer. And Tammy and I are we eating kettle corn for a long time when we're having... Uh, our movie night at the house. And, of course, we visit our favorite sign painter, known for his famous and funny, clever-saying signs that we have several, uh, kind of the ones that when you're not happy with somebody, you say, we all voted in Europe, a dumb son of a gun. And we made our visit to your favorite, even though you may not have been there yet, Booze Pops Truck, which happened to be next to our hotel. Uh, Great frozen alcoholic products <laughs> and you can get them from two percent to all the way up so we had a great food-based vacation of two days in charleston well you know so it was great you know someday when when we have a add video to our podcast people will realize that you actually weigh 300 pounds because of everything you eat and i'm that's, an alcoholic so that's, there you that, go. that's great so um <laughs> My small business of the month. I was, I was reading an article uh, about um, how uh, there's been more of a trend uh, uh, away from using coffins to bury people and, and, and whatnot and, and trends in burials. So uh, I came across uh, – they, they talked about one of the new trends – which is called natural organic reduction, which is a process which gently converts human remains into soil. So uh, there's a company. Mulch? 
Yeah, sort of mulchy, <laughs> dirt, mud, I don't know. Uh, re- there's a new company out there called Recompose, uh, which you can find at www.recompose.life, even though you won't be alive when you get to use their service. It's a company that was founded by a woman named Katrina Spade to offer natural or- organic reduction to the public. And uh, soon they're going to be providing uh, this service in facilities in Washington State, and um, the transformation of human to soil happens inside their reusable hexagonal recomposition vessels. When the process is finished, families will be able to take home some of the soil created, while gardens on site will remind us all that life is interconnected. We're tentatively aiming for a prize, we being recomposed, of $5,500 for their service. For context, in Washington State, a green burial is around $6,000. A cremation can be anywhere from $1,000 to $7,000. And conventional burial is $8,000 or more. The price of the recomposed service will include transportation of the body to their facility within the Seattle metropolitan area, filing of the death certificate, time with family and friends in our beautiful space, and the transformation of the body into soil. Uh, so they're working hard to open Recompose in Seattle by late 2020. In May 2019, Washington State's Governor Jay Inslee signed uh, a law which legalizes natural organic reduction, or, quote, the contained accelerated conversion of human rain remains into soil, and that law is going into effect on May 1st in 2020. So uh, anyway... Name of the company is Recompose. I like the you name. Know, you know, if you if you're interested in something other than cremation or being six feet under, and you uh, want to be part of like your own garden someday for your kids, I'm sure your kids would love that. But you know, we do our yard and we put mulch down, and we, Tammy rakes it up every six months. I mean, I'd be raking up Granddad or Grandma. Well, but doesn't that make you feel closer to Granddad or Grandma? Well, I guess it would for a short period of time. Uh, you'll never forget when you dump their remains. Well, in your, I guess that, in your that is probably that's probably the thought process. Anyway, just. Uh, I found that to be an interesting uh, new uh, business. You yes. never know. You well, never there's know. a good example. Of you something. never know what's out there. So coming up with another solution. That's right. And this apparently is not available in every state. They might have to transport your body to Washington State to do it. But uh, Can you anyway. transport uh, soil from state to state to bring it back to North Carolina. I think that's probably the easier part. Yes. So uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's our small business of the month. We we appreciate. Our listeners uh, sending us questions. Uh, we appreciate uh, the Mesh Network for hosting us. You should be going to themesh.tv and checking out all the podcasts that the Mesh has to offer. Uh, you can subscribe to the Entrepreneur Exchange by visiting iTunes or at many of the usual suspect podcast sites. We appreciate you guys listening in, and we'll look forward to catching you again next month. Take care. Have a cool rest of the summer. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. 
discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.